You are listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. If you have a Bible, go ahead and meet me in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Hey, my name is Ethan. I'm the new family pastor here at Central. So uh, if we haven't gotten a chance to meet, uh, it's good to to see you today. Uh, Good to meet you. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible with you, we'll have the verses on the screen for you. Uh, So let me go ahead and invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, the Spirit says to us this morning, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, is preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we are grateful for your word today. Lord, we're grateful that you have spoken to us. And Father, we pray that you would speak to us now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, we live in a time and a day and a world, a culture, however you want to say it, where we're just flooded with information regularly. We have just right at our fingertips with our smartphones and computers and whatever it may be, we have access to any information that we might need, answers to any questions we might be looking for, whatever it is that we need, we can find it. And some of the information that we get isn't even information that we go looking for, it's just information that that maybe we stumble upon or that comes at us. Uh, I was thinking about that this week and uh, I looked up some stats and I found these. Google processes 40,000 searches per second. Every minute, 4.1 million YouTube videos are watched. Every minute, 16 million text messages are sent. Every minute, 156 million emails are sent. And of those 156 million, 103 million are spam. Uh, I thought that was super interesting. Uh, Over 80% of drivers say that they read billboards as they drive past. In the 1970s, the average person saw between 500 and 1,000 up to maybe 1,500 ads per day. Today, that number is somewhere between 6,000 to 10,000 ads per day that you and I are exposed to. 
each and every day. We live in a world, we live in a time where we're being flooded with information. We're being flooded with facts. We might say it like this, that we live in a day, we live in a time where we are being discipled. We're being discipled by all of these different things that we're seeing, all of these different things that we're coming in contact with, and we would be mistaken if we said that these things aren't shaping us somehow. We'd be mistaken if we said that that all of those ads, all of those things that we hear, all of those things that we watch, all of those things that we see, they're all shaping us in some form, in some fashion. The question for us this morning is this, is what we are being shaped by, is it the right things? Is it the right truth? Is it it the, the right thing? Are we being discipled by the right things? Are we making disciples of the right things? And, and these are questions we're going to focus on this morning. We come here to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we find Paul reminding us of this truth, this key truth this morning. Disciple making is a serious responsibility and an awesome opportunity. Disciple making is a serious responsibility and an awesome opportunity. We pick up here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul has just finished explaining, talking about God's empowering grace in the life of believers. If you were to look at verse 14 of chapter 1, we read, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And so Paul's writing here to Timothy, he's writing to this young pastor, and he's telling him, by the Holy Spirit that's inside of you, that's living inside of you, guard the good deposit. And then he goes on and he talks about at the end of chapter one uh, about some, some different individuals who have not guarded the deposit, who, who, have, who have deserted Paul. And then he turns his attention back to Timothy. And so here this morning, we're going to look at three truths. The first truth is this, the mandate of disciple making. The mandate of disciple making. Now, there are certain tasks in our world, in our life, that we view as optional. Now, every once in a while, I go to the dentist. And the end of my conversations with the dentist always goes something like this. Hey, you should really think about flossing regularly. Or you really should floss regularly. Now, what the dentist is saying, right, you need to floss regularly. What I'm hearing is, if you want to floss from time to time, do it right? Uh, but it's not really mandatory. Uh, maybe, maybe you're, you're like me in this. Uh, I, I drive a good bit and I know that I need to get my oil changed every three to 5,000 miles. And I look at that sticker on my truck window uh, and I see that, hey, it's time for an oil change. And my thought is always, I bet I can get another thousand miles, right? I bet I can push it a little bit further. I, I bet that, that I can wait a week or two uh, before I get my oil changed. Or maybe, now I'm not saying that you would do this, and I'm certainly not saying that I do this, but maybe when you're driving down the road and you see that white sign with those black letters that say speed limit, you think, oh, that's for them, but maybe not for me, right? Uh, That's actually five or 10 miles an hour, maybe 15 miles an hour, a little bit faster, right? That is a recommendation. That's optional. That's, That's not mandatory. And we do these things, we, we think in this way in not just one or two or three areas of our life, but we view every area of our life, we have things of every area of our life that we view as optional or non-essential. And it's no different uh, in our walk with Jesus, that Jesus, we know he's called us to be disciple makers, to be people who make disciples, and yet we approach it as optional. 
We approach it as, well, that's for them to do. That's not necessarily for me to do. But here in this passage we're looking at this morning, Paul's reminding us that disciple making is a serious responsibility and an awesome opportunity. Now, Paul's hope is that Timothy, as he's writing to Timothy, that he's going to be strengthened. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Paul writes, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's hoping that Timothy's going to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, notice what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say, Timothy. You just need to look down deep inside of you and find that strength that you need. He doesn't say, Timothy, you just need to try a little harder, just work out a little bit more, and you'll find that strength that you need to do what I'm calling you to. No, he says, Timothy, be strengthened not by the grace that is in yourself, be strengthened by the grace that is found only in Jesus Christ. That's where Timothy is to be strengthened. That's the grace that Timothy needs. Now, what's the result of this strengthening? It's that Timothy's going to take what he's heard from Paul and he's going to pass it to faithful men who will pass it on to faithful men who will pass it on to faithful men and on and on it will go. See, what Timothy heard from Paul, he he heard in the presence of what Paul says here of many witnesses. And now that in the presence of many witnesses, we see this phrase used other times outside of the New Testament and it's talking about a a, a legal setting. It's a legal term. And so what Paul is saying there is he's saying, Timothy, you've heard what I've said and what I've taught you, I've done it in the presence of many witnesses and those witnesses can testify that I have in fact taught you this and that it is true. And so Paul's saying, Timothy, you know what I've said is true. You know what I've said is right. And so Timothy, take this and pass it on to others who can then pass it on to others. See, the truth wasn't to end with Timothy It was to be passed on. And this truth that Paul's talking about here, he's talking about the gospel. We have a mandate to make disciples, and the point is that the gospel was never meant to stop with you or with me. It was never meant to stop with one person. Robbie Gallaty, he's a pastor in the Nashville area, and he says it like this. He says, the gospel came to you on its way to somebody else. The gospel came to you on its way to somebody else. So we might think of it like this, that that we're not to be cul-de-sacs for the gospel where the gospel comes to a dead end, but we're supposed to be highways where it goes, it's going to someone else. This morning I was pulling into the church parking lot and it was starting to rain a little and and I was looking at the retention ponds. And and I had this thought that, that we're not to be retention ponds of the gospel, we're to be rivers where the gospel flows. Right, because here's the truth about retention ponds. Retention ponds, they collect water, and then what happens? They get gross. Right? They get junk in them. Uh, you don't want to swim in them. Right? You, you don't want to be in them. You, you don't want to drink that water. You don't want to be near them because they get gross. Right? The same is true of us as Christians. Whenever we just sit and soak and we never go and minister, we never go and make disciples, we never go and share the gospel or, or go and do the work that the Lord has called us to, we get gross. Right? We get stagnant, and we were never meant to be stagnant Christians. Jesus hasn't saved us to sit. He saved us to go. Right? We have been sent with a commission to go and to make disciples. Now, Paul's not instructing Timothy to just share the gospel, see conversions, and then move on. Right? He's not telling Timothy, hey, see how many people you can baptize and then go. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm excited that we just got to watch two people get baptized. I'm excited that even in the midst of this global pandemic, we're still seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ. But that's not the end, right? Baptism is not the finish line of the race. It's the starting line. Right? It's that first step of obedience, not the last step. And so our call as believers, our call as a church is not to just see people baptized, but to see people baptized and then grow. Right? Our goal isn't to just get a bunch of converts. Our goal is to see people baptized and then see them grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what the Great Commission is. Right? Jesus doesn't say, say, go and baptize and then go. No, he says, go and baptize, and what? Make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So don't just go and baptize. No, he says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. See, that's what we're called to. We're called to be disciple makers. We're called to go. That's what the scorecard is, is is disciples, not just converts. Paul's telling Timothy to to multiply himself into others who then multiply themselves, who then multiply themselves, who then multiply themselves, and on and on it goes. See, we have a mandate to make disciples. Disciple making is a serious responsibility, and it's an awesome opportunity. We see here in this passage, first we see the first truth is the mandate of disciple making. Next we see this, the method for disciple making. The method for disciple making. See, Paul doesn't stop at the call to make disciples. He doesn't say, Timothy, go and make these disciples. Go and make disciples and then figure it out on your own. No, Paul, he says, go and make disciples. And here's what a disciple looks like. Here's what a disciple maker looks like. We see this in verses three through seven. See, for Paul, first, a good disciple is prepared to suffer. Look at verse three. He says, share in suffering is a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So immediately after telling Timothy to go and to entrust the gospel, entrust the the truth of God's word to faithful men, he turns and without another statement, he says, and be prepared to share in suffering. See, suffering shouldn't surprise us. Jesus has said that you will suffer. As my disciples, you will encounter suffering. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. See, the the mark, an indicator of health as disciples and disciple makers is our preparedness and our willingness to suffer. Now, some of us, we, we may be called to suffer for the gospel. But some of us, may be called to suffer because that's where Jesus is going to walk with us. And that's where we are going to get more of him. I don't want to downplay suffering as easy or as simple. But we have good news today knowing that even in suffering, our God is working all things together for our good and his glory. And so we can suffer with hope knowing that that we may suffer now, but we get life eternal with Jesus Christ, where suffering is no more. And Paul gives us a few more pictures of what a disciple looks like. In verse 4, we get a picture of a soldier. Look at verse 4 with me. Paul says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. 
He uses that word entangled. That carries with it the idea of distraction. In other words, no soldier gets distracted by things that don't matter. Their aim is to please the one who enlisted them. Right? This is a single-minded devotion. That as disciples, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a single-minded devotion, a single focus to follow Jesus wherever he calls us to be. And if we have a single-minded devotion, that means that we can't have a devotion to Jesus and this, or a devotion to Jesus and that, that, that we could be devoted to Jesus plus this over here, or Jesus plus that over here. And our current season, the, the current place we find ourselves, this means that single-minded devotion means that you're devoted to Jesus first and only and not to the Democrats or to the Republicans, right? You're focused on Jesus. We have a single-minded focus on him. We get a second picture of what a disciple is. Look at verse 5. He says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So an athlete cannot win the game unless he plays by the rules. Now, Uh, I have a rule that governs all other rules uh, for me whenever I play games and whenever I play sports, and it is this. If you're not cheating, you're not trying, right? If you're not cheating, you're not trying. This is uh, why I love to play board games with my family and different things like that. If you're not cheating, you're not trying, right? I think that shows ingenuity. That's why I like baseball, right? I have some creativity. It means you care about it. But Paul says here, he says, you cannot win unless you play by the rules. See, a disciple is not a disciple who refuses to follow God's word. See, here's the truth. Disciples don't merely follow God's rules. They delight and find joy in God's word. Right? That, that, that's what it means to be a disciple. You can't be a disciple and not love God's word. You can't be a disciple and not be invested in God's word. Because the disciple says, look, I want to know and follow Jesus. We know and follow Jesus by investing in God's word. My wife is is in this service. Anna, imagine if I went home today and she said, did you get my text messages? And I said, yeah, I just didn't want to read them because I didn't care what you had to say. Right? There, there's a, a phrase for that in my house uh, that she's going to snatch a knot in my head. May, maybe you've heard that before. Right? See, if I love, if I love my wife, then I want to hear from her. Right? I, I want to know about her. The same is true of us as disciples. And if we're going to be disciples, we can't divorce our discipleship from God's word because when we divorce ourselves from God's word, then we can't be disciples. Right? We need God's word. And this is the great opportunity of making disciples, of showing how God has cared for and loved us by showing us how to live for his glory according to his word. If we're not making disciples who love God's word, then we're not making disciples. We get one last picture of what it means to be a disciple. Look at verse 6. Paul writes, it's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. See, being a disciple and making a disciple, making disciples, it's not a passive activity. It's not something that just happens. Now, I'm I'm not a farmer, but I know this. Lazy people make terrible farmers. Hey, if you're going to be a farmer, you've got to wake up early, you've got to work in the field, and you're probably coming in after the sun goes down. 
And you're constantly toiling the soil, right? You're constantly pulling the weeds. You're constantly tending to your crops. The same is true of discipleship. And discipleship, being a disciple, making disciples, takes work. It doesn't happen by accident. We don't accidentally find a vibrant relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've been around those people before who whenever you hear them pray, you think, I want to pray like that. When you, you hear them talk about Jesus, you say, I want to love Jesus like that. You hear them talk about God's word and you think, I want to know God's word like that. Wait, here's the truth. That didn't happen by accident. They didn't fall into that. That kind of relationship, that kind of love, it takes initiative. Right? It takes work. We don't drift into vibrant relationships with Jesus. It takes time. But here's the good news is that we have the promise that as we press into this call to be a disciple who makes disciples, God's promised that he's going to give us fruit. God's promised that he's going to do a great work in us for our good and for his glory. So here's the method of disciple making. We use God's word with God's spirit to develop a single-minded devotion to God. And we work hard at it at knowing and serving him. See, here's the truth. You and I have everything we need to make disciples. Right now, we have everything that we need to make disciples. If we have God's word and we have God's spirit, then we have everything we need to make disciples. We don't need a special book as helpful as they are. We don't need a special curriculum as helpful as they are. We don't even even necessarily need another sermon to tell us how to go and make disciples. We just need God's word and God's spirit, and we can make disciples. And so here's what this means. This means husbands, you have everything you need to disciple your wife. In fact, Ephesians tells us that as husbands, we not only have everything we need, but we have a responsibility to wash our wives in the word. Parents, this means that you have everything you need to make disciples of your kids. We have a phenomenal student pastor. We've got a phenomenal kids director, but parents, here's the truth. They don't exist to take your place as the primary disciple maker of your home. They exist to come alongside you and to add to what you're already doing. Now, maybe you need help with, hey, what does it look like to make disciples in my home? That's what they're there for. That, that's what we're here for. But you as parents, as believers in Jesus Christ, you have everything you need to make disciples of your home. See, we are equipped to make disciples. The question is this, are we doing it? Are we making disciples? We have what we need, but are we doing it? See, disciple making is a serious responsibility. It's an awesome opportunity. We see the mandate and the method of disciple making. Finally, we see this, the motivation for disciple making. The motivation for disciple making. The motivation for disciple making is more than Paul saying, just because I said so. Right? We might, we might expect to find Paul saying that you need to make disciples because I told you to. 
All right, I've got three small children. We've, we've got another daughter on the way. And, and I can remember growing up and, and asking my parents why I had to do this. And you, you probably know what they would say, right? Because I said so, right? Because I'm mommy, because I'm daddy. And I remember thinking I would never say that, right? I didn't know that that's the perks of the job, right? That, that whenever my kids ask me, why do I have to do that? I say, because I'm daddy and I said so. And then whenever they argue back with me, I say, go talk to mommy, right? Uh, we might expect Paul to say, look, I'm an apostle. That's what I would have done. If I were Paul, this is why God didn't make me an apostle, right? Because if I were Paul, I would say, you know why you make disciples? Because I told you to, and I'm an apostle. Jesus sent me here, do what I tell you to, right? But that's not what Paul does. Right? The motivation that Paul gives for making disciples, we see it right there in verse eight. Look at those first three words of verse eight. Remember Jesus Christ. We make disciples because Jesus is worthy. We make disciples because that's the right response of a heart that's been changed by the gospel and a life that's being shaped and formed by Jesus. Jesus is our motivation for disciple making. Paul says he's risen from the dead. He's the offspring of David. What he's saying there is that he is the savior and he is the Messiah. He's the long promised one. And because Jesus is Savior and Messiah, because Jesus is Lord, Jesus is worthy of us being disciples who make disciples. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our effort to make disciples of all people and all generations. John Piper says this. He says that missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. That God is worthy of worship of, of people, and there are people who are not worshiping him, and so we do missions so that they will know that God is worthy of their worship and that that's good news for them. We make disciples. We do the hard work of being disciples who make disciples because as we do that, we're reminded that Jesus is worthy of our efforts. Right? Jesus is worth knowing, and he's not just worth us knowing, but he's worth everyone knowing, and he's not just worth them knowing who he is, but he's worth knowing well. See, we don't, want, we don't just want people to know that Jesus was a good teacher, and he was. We don't just want people to know that Jesus was a great example, even though he was. We want people to know that Jesus is Savior and Lord, and that he died in their place. He died in my place. He died in your place so that we might know him and live with him for all eternity. That's what we want people to know. And we want people to grow in their understanding the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ. We have a mandate to make disciples. A mandate, it's simply a commission to do something. Now, I was looking at different versions of mandates this week, and I started reading about something known as an unfunded mandate. Now, an unfunded mandate is something that happens in Washington. It's when the federal government makes a mandate that tells state and local agencies what they must do. And they make the mandate, but then they don't give them the resources to carry out what needs to be done. And so then the state and local agencies, they've got to figure out, okay, well, how do we do this? What, what money do we use? What resources do we use to get this done? Here's the good news for us today is that our mandate is funded, right? Jesus has told us how to do it. He's told us what to do, and he's given us the reason and the resources of why we do it. See, our mandate is funded. We have what we need to make disciples. Look at verse 9. 
Paul writes, I'm suffering, some of the gospel for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. And Paul is bound with chains as a criminal because he preached the gospel. And now the next line that we might expect to hear is, is a woe is me from Paul. Or, or maybe we might expect Paul to give us a warning that if you're going to do this, this is going to be hard. If you're going to do this, this is going to be dangerous. But that's not what Paul does. I love that next phrase. He says, I'm bound as a criminal. And then he says this, but the word of God is not bound. Or the, the he might be bound, and, and maybe we might even be bound. But the word of God isn't bound. I think that we're seeing this in our church right now. Right? We're in the midst of a global pandemic. Right? We have brothers and sisters in churches uh, all over the country who still have yet to be able to meet. We, we haven't been able to meet as we typically would. But you know what? We're seeing fruit every single week that the gospel is not bound. Right? That's what we celebrate with baptism. Right? We saw people saved this week. And that's just evidence, that's fruit, that the gospel is not bound. That even in a situation like this, God still works. Even in a situation like this, the gospel still saves. Instead of Paul giving us a warning or making a woe is me statement, he celebrates the power of the gospel. He says that, that he may be chained, but God's word is not. And because Jesus is worthy, Paul says, keep making disciples. He says, I may be in prison, but we need to keep making disciples. E even in prison, Paul doesn't have regrets about what he's done. No, what we know about Paul is that Paul's in prison for making disciples. And so what is he doing in prison? He's making more disciples, right? He says, you put me here with a captive audience. Thank you, right? I'm going to keep making disciples. And why did he do this? Because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is Paul's motivation, not personal fame, and not because he has something to gain on earth, right? Paul isn't thinking that, hey, I can be an influencer if I do this, right? That, that people will know me and they'll know what I do and they'll know why I do it. Now, Paul does it because Jesus is worthy of worship. Jesus is worthy of our efforts of making disciples. See, Paul makes disciples and gladly suffers for it because Jesus is worthy. In verse 10, Paul connects his love for Jesus with his love for others. He says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. See, Paul endures the risk of disciple-making because God still has people to save. And so Paul's got this great love for God, and he's got this great love for people, and it's easy for us to sit in here and to say that Jesus is worthy of making disciples. It's easy for us to sit in here and to sing songs like we just did, that there's no one better than you. It's easy and it's right for us to sit in here and affirm those things, but it's something completely different to walk out those doors and live like we believe it. It's something completely different for us to walk out those doors and actually make disciples. Here's the question that I'm asking myself this morning. I want to ask you, if disciple making were illegal, would there be enough evidence to convict you of breaking the law? 
If disciple-making were illegal, would there be enough evidence to convict me of breaking the law? If disciple-making were illegal, would there be enough evidence that the local authorities would want to come and shut down Central because we are serious about making disciples? I hope that that's true of us. And I hope that's true of our church and of us as individuals that we are serious about making disciples. See, Paul ends this passage with a hymn from the early church, and it's, it's really the gospel in song. He says, if we've died with him, we'll also live with him. So if we're united with Christ in his death, we'll be united with him in his resurrection. That if we endure, we will also reign. And then he says something that, that may seem a little confusing to us. He says, if we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. See, what Paul's talking about here is that if we deny him, he's talking about if we walk away, if we turn our backs on Jesus and we walk away from him, we say we don't need him, then then Jesus will deny us. But he says if we're faithless, then he remains faithful. What he's saying there is that in the moments when our faith is weak, in the moments when we struggle to believe that Jesus has been faithful for us, that just as Jesus has died in our place on the cross, he has also been faithful in our place in our life. And so we don't have to live to try to earn anything else. We don't have to live to try to earn a reward from the Father because Jesus has lived the perfect life. Right? Jesus' righteousness has become ours. And so now we live righteous lives, not because we think that God's going to give us something. We live righteous lives because Jesus has already made us righteous. We live righteous lives because that's the right response to the king who has died in our place to save us from an eternal hell. See, that's the good news of the gospel. This is why we make disciples. We make disciples because Jesus is worthy. See, disciple making is a serious responsibility. It's an awesome opportunity. To get to introduce people to Jesus and to see them grow in their walk with him, I can't think of anything better to commit our lives to than that. See, in this passage, we've got a mandate and a method and a a motivation for disciple-making. Here's the truth is that God doesn't need us to accomplish his work in the world, yet he invites us in to be used by him in this great See, every believer is called to be a disciple who makes disciples. And so maybe, maybe you're sitting here this morning or you're watching online and maybe you see someone across the room or you can think of someone else who, hey, I need to be investing in them. I need to be, be uh, active in seeing them discipled. Maybe you're in this room and maybe you've been following Jesus for a few days or maybe you've been following him for a few years, a few decades. Maybe you're thinking, hey, I need to be discipled. I need someone to walk with me as I grow in my walk with Jesus. Well, that's, you've come to the right place. And that's why we're here. In just a minute, we're going we're gonna to throw a number on the screen. And you can, you can send a text to that number, 407-338-4024. You just put your name in there and say, hey, hey I want to be discipled. And we'll be sure to connect you with someone who can help you be discipled. Or, or, or maybe this morning you're thinking, I need to be discipling people. Maybe you say, hey, I want to I take the next step of becoming a disciple maker, of walking with people as they walk with Jesus. 
Well, send us a text to 407-338-4024. We'll be sure to get you connected with those who can help you be a disciple maker. You know, the, the, the best way, the kind of the biggest way for that we take this seriously of making disciples who make disciples here at Central is through our Central groups. And you saw in our announcement video a few, a few minutes ago, and then on September 13th, our central groups are coming back on Sunday mornings. On September 16th, our central groups are back on Wednesday evenings. And maybe you say, hey, I need to get plugged in to a central group. I, I need to plug into a group so that I can be a disciple and so that I can make disciples. And maybe you don't even know where to start. You don't know where to begin on what it looks like to get plugged in with a group. Well, send us a text to that number, 407-338-4024. And we'll be sure to get you the information that you need so that you can get connected, you can get plugged in with a central group. Maybe, maybe this morning you would say, you know, we've talked a lot about this discipleship thing. We've talked a lot about following Jesus. But maybe today you've realized that, that what you need isn't more of what this world has to offer and then a little bit of Jesus. But maybe this morning you realize that what you need is you need Jesus. You need to trust Jesus, that, that you need to lay your life down at his feet. Maybe over the last few months you've been walking through life and, and maybe you've been looking for satisfaction in this place and that place. Maybe you have this longing for, for this thing and you can't put your finger on it. And so you're looking over here and over there and, and in this thing and in that thing and in this person and in that person. I'm here to tell you today that that satisfaction that you're looking for can only be found in Jesus Christ. And what Jesus says is that today is the day of salvation. That today is the day for you to trust in him. So maybe you need to trust Jesus today. Or maybe you'd say, hey, what does it look like to trust Jesus? What does it look like to follow Jesus? And send us a text, 407-338-4024. There's someone on the other end of that message. We would love to talk with you a little bit more about what does it look like to follow Jesus. So here's what we're doing. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing and we're going to ask the Lord to do what only he can do. Let's apply his word to our hearts. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for today. We're grateful for your grace and your goodness to us. Lord, we're grateful that your word is true. And Father, we're grateful that, that you've called us to be disciple makers and you haven't stopped there. Lord, you've, you've given us the method. You, you've given us the motivation to be disciple makers. And so Father, we pray that we would take this mandate seriously. Lord, I pray that, that you would make me serious about being a disciple maker, that you would make those in this room and watching online serious about being disciple makers. Father, I pray that our church would be known as a disciple making church. Father, we pray that you would do a great work in us and through us. And we pray now for you to do what only you can do. It's in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. For more information or how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.